Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. And I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes and Jason Staples. This is our uh, weekly get-together, Carolina, Virginia Tech, 3.30 on Saturday, up in Blacksburg. Jason, I'll go to you first, since Greg and I have been talking off the air, Carolina has had some success in Blacksburg on occasion. And on those occasions, they've been able to play solid defense and put some points on the board. This year, is it going to be different for the Tar Heels? 21 players down now. Injury report came out (laughs) Thursday. 21 players down. So, frankly, let me ask you the easy question. What's your take? Primary take is with 21 players down, you're playing with essentially an FCS roster against a fully loaded and weaponized Virginia Tech, you know, ACC Coastal team on the road. So, you know, that is, um, that's not a good recipe to win games. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm seeing fans uh, on social media in various places talking about, well, you know, this is about Bud Foster versus Larry Fedora or whatever. And Fedora is obviously, you know, inferior as a as a game plan or whatever listen if you're 21 players down you're playing with a different roster I mean FCS teams don't beat FBS teams very often for a reason and and UNC is playing with that kind of roster right now so you know if Carolina wins this game it is a pretty significant upset it's a pretty good Virginia Tech team you know as you mentioned Virginia Tech typically plays really good defense this year has been no exception They've been decent on offense, good enough, and they've, they're physical enough, and uh, they should be able to score some points. The problem for me is that, you know, I think, I think Carolina's defense can and will hang with Virginia Tech for a reasonable amount of time in this game, you know, into the second half. But I just am not con- convinced at this point that that offense, which is so shorthanded, can score enough points to stay into the game deep into the fourth quarter and I think ultimately what happens is that that defense once again wears down in the fourth quarter, most likely. And uh, you know, Virginia Tech probably wins by double digits once they once they sort of run away, once that defense finally gets gassed. And I think that that's kind of been the MO for for Carolina the last few weeks, is just they haven't been able to give enough point support to the defense to keep them to keep them uh fresh enough and and with enough cushion to be able to uh to handle teams late, and and I think that's that's more or less what we're going to see again. Greg, when I look at it, Carolina struggles on third down. Those widely documented. You've done great. You and Ross and Evan Cronus have done great documenting that way below Larry Fedora's standard. But Virginia Tech's defense, as good as it is on first and second down, if I'm not mistaken, they get a lot tougher on third down. And so you have a matchup 
between a, a Carolina offense that's not only littered with injuries, but also loaded with young guys and young guys that have struggled throughout the season of being cohesive, being a cohesive unit, whether it's offensive line, the receivers. Uh, one of the bright spots is clearly the running backs, but discuss how Carolina manages that. Uh, I mean, you've got to generate some sort of offense to keep the chains moving to protect that defense Jason was just talking about. Well, it's got to start with the running game. And North Carolina had a little bit of success against Virginia, although Michael Carter's two big runs skew the stats a tiny bit. Although North Carolina, roughly, not quite half, but roughly half of their runs went for four yards or more. And I think that's where you have to start because what Bud Foster is going to do, he likes to press on the edges anyway, uh, he's going to make North Carolina establish some kind of run and you know, beat them through the air. So if you're going to stack the box, North Carolina, they're going to try to take away the run. And so you're left with a situation of, okay, the quarterback has to beat our secondary. And not only that, the offensive line has to beat our defensive line. And the running backs and the tight ends have to block effectively to keep our guys off the quarterback in time to make accurate throws down the field to wide receivers who have a hard time getting open. And so if you're a betting man, you would you would say the favors are, are heavily stacked in, in Bud Foster's favor. But it, it is the whole thing of you've got to be able to generate some type of running game. And Virginia did a good job last week of, of really kind of trying to take away the run, and North Carolina still had some success. And that that's the only way really to open up your, your passing game. It's fragile and, uh, I guess, woeful is, is that passing game is for North Carolina. So a lot of things have to go right. You cannot afford to get behind the chains. You, you talk about what they've done on third down. I mean, Virginia Tech's only allowed 90 first downs in six games. Uh, that's 10th nationally. They're allowing teams to convert third down uh, less than 25% of the time, which is, uh, I think, fifth nationally. North Carolina's 124th in third down conversions. They're converting less than 30% of the time. So a lot of that goes to the fact, and we've talked about that this before, that not only is North Carolina struggling on third and long, they're struggling on third and short. And that speaks a lot to that run game, which is why I keep coming back to it. They've got to have some success there. Uh, that's got to be your foundation. And if you can have success in the run game, even if it's picking up three or four yards, then maybe you have a chance to create some rhythm. You have some short passes that can pick up some first downs and things start moving. But if you can't run the ball, you're not going to be able to throw the ball against this Virginia Tech team. And at that point, the three and outs pile up, and, and this gets ugly very quickly. So, Jason, let me ask you, Carolina's issues aside, let's don't talk about them right now, but tell me what makes Virginia Tech's defense so widely hailed as either very good or great every year. What does Bud Foster do to have that success? each and every year for the most part? Well, there's a few things. I mean, number one is they do a very good job of recruiting for their system. So they know what they want and they recruit specifically to it. They recruit certain types of bodies. So they recruit athletes. They recruit very heavily at the corner position, try to get you know decent sized corners who can run. And then the guys that can't make it there, they move to safety. And then they always have so they've got, you know, your, your coverage body type, then they've got their, your kind of linebacker hybrid body type, 
that they'll have, you know, if you, if the guy runs well enough, he becomes a Rover an outside backer. If he runs just a little bit worse, he becomes an inside backer. They do a lot of stuff to get personnel in, in, in places where they can be flexible. And then his scheme, which is a, a four, two, five scheme, which is, you know, cutting edge really does a good job of mixing and matching that personnel with all sorts of really flexible scheme, uh, scheme looks that, that cause, havoc and and can cause confusion and they're very disciplined in how they execute that scheme you combine that with the quality of defensive linemen that you can get uh in the virginia area that they that they do a good job of evaluating and recruiting and you know they also get some some guys from elsewhere but they do they do a good job of getting guys that can be disruptive up front and then they have built a culture defensively of discipline and then playing on the edge in terms of reckless abandon bringing a lot of pressure bringing a lot of uh a lot of passion to the field you do that and you combine that with quality personnel you combine that with excellent defensive backs coaching over the years that they've had up there combine that with quality scheme and foster does a really good job of calling games intuitively he's a good tactician he understands that okay, on third down, they like to do these things in this scenario and does a good job of calling stuff that's going to be a little bit of a problem as well. So you combine all that, stir it up into a stew, and you get a quality defense for a long, long time. So they do about as good a job up there in terms of of coaching all that from the recruiting stage and evaluation stage through the the, the, the development process and all that. They do about as well on that as as anybody. Jason, we knew Virginia Tech's defense was going to be stout coming into this year. They returned a lot of guys. They were really good last year, as both of you guys just mentioned. Bud Foster always fields a a solid defense. But when Drott Evans decides to go pro and the fact that they lost Bucky Hodges and, and some other skill position players, there was a legitimate concern about how good this offense could be. Nobody expected Josh Jackson as a retro freshman to do what he's done. I mean, he's completing 66% of his passes, 13 TDs against four interceptions. Cam Phillips has emerged as an elite wide receiver. I mean, he's, he's averaging over seven yards per catch. Uh, I mean, seven catches per game, excuse me, 14 yards per catch, over 600 yards already uh, on the season. What is it that Justin Fuente uh, does so well in, in balancing his offense? And what can North Carolina's defense, which has played well in stretches, do to slow that offense down? Well, the first thing that that I think is worth pointing out is this offense has actually not been great this year. I don't. I mean, they they through through this point in the schedule, they've only really played two quality defenses. So that's worth noting to begin with. And one is kind of of questionable questionable quality. How good is West Virginia's defense really? Right. Virginia just gave up 35 to Texas Tech. They gave up uh, 31 to TCU. They gave up 34 to Kansas and they gave up 31 to Virginia Tech. Right. So, you know, is that really a quality defense? I mean, they're okay. Boston College is the next best defense they played. Obviously, they played against Clemson, but Clemson largely limited them pretty significantly. So I'm not so sure that this offense is what a lot of people think it is at Virginia Tech. I'm not sure that it's uh, that it's as good as a lot of people seem to think it is. I mean, you think about, again, you go through yards per play. 
They're averaging six yards per play against that schedule, right? They put up 5.32 yards per play against Boston College. And just to put that in perspective, Boston College only gave up 8.33 yards per play to Louisville, who North Carolina has already faced. So how, you know, how good is Virginia Tech's offense Really, compared, I, mean, I think they're they're far behind, say, the, the Louisville offense or Louisville offense that that uh, North Carolina already played. Now that said, Fuente is a really good offensive mind, and he's done a good job of creating enough balance with a rushing attack that is pretty good. You, you know, people knew coming into the year that they'd be pretty good with Trayvon McMillan and and that group of running backs behind him, that they'd be able to run the ball reasonably well. And the question was quarterback and wide receiver. And Phillips has been good. He's made some made some big catches and all that. But what Fuente does is, I, I think the thing he does better th- better than than most is he does a good job of identifying what his quarterback is comfortable with and capable of, and then builds around that with concepts that stack on each other. So, okay, my quarterback, you know, is comfortable running the zone read, running some midline, running some inverted veer, and he he always tends to tends to prefer those dual threat guys. So I'm going to give him some of that stuff, and then I'm going to give him some pass action off of that stuff that's going, to, that's going to give him some easy throws that don't require him to throw into coverage much that, that give him an ability to develop some rhythm. And I think Fuente does, does well as just about anybody. Again, I think they're an extremely well-coached team on both sides of the ball with Fuente and his staff and with uh, Bud, Bud Foster and his staff on the, those, those two sides of the ball. But what Fuente does is he, he simplifies the game for his quarterback in terms of what he's going to ask him to do. They're going to run a lot of, uh, you know, the, the <laughs> if, you're, if you, you, know, you know the Gruden stuff, you know, they run a lot of the, the Y banana type stuff to, the, to throw to the, the, the Y or the tight end or the slot outside, which is an easy and safe throw for quarterbacks. They do a lot of little levels concepts and boots and things like that to give quarterbacks easy throws. And then they build their offense from there and periodically they'll take a shot. But they're not asking Josh Jackson to go out there and read the whole field and do and do a whole lot that's gonna that's going to um require him to play like an NFL quarterback at this point. And then they just build off of that with some, you know, jet sweep action with, you know, inverted veer action and so on and, and run a pretty robust group of run actions that force your defense to simplify to be able to handle all the different looks that they're going to get up front and then they work off of that so I I think again that's that's the beauty of what Fuente does it's it in a lot of ways it's very similar to what Larry Fedora does there's a lot of simplicity to it and he's going to try to force the defense to spread out and then stop the run stop the 11-man running game and give the quarterback some relatively easy options to to be able to throw down the field without too much too much difficulty. So I, I think there's a lot of similarities there with what Fedora does. Maybe a little bit more run action uh, or run emphasis from the quarterback usually in, in Fuente's offense. So Jason, given everything you've said, given everything we know about North Carolina's injury situation and their struggles this year, how does Carolina's offense keep Carolina's defense off the field such that they don't get completely gassed in the fourth quarter and the game turns out, as we've seen, four of the six games this year. The first thing is that defenses have to get themselves off the field. So this idea of an offense, you know, oh, the offense has to keep the defense off the field. Not really. I mean, that, that 
in a lot of ways is mistaken because, you know, if you're not stopping them already, then it doesn't really matter. If your defense is letting them go on 10, 11, 12 play drives, it doesn't really matter what your offense does between them. Your defense is going get to get in trouble. But you can help out a little bit by the offense. First of all, the offense has to get, has to get first downs. Just getting, you know, two first downs, even one first down per series really helps a defense because you flip the field a little bit. You know, that 10 to 20 yards that you get by getting that first down or two really changes the, the amount of pressure on a defense. So that's number one. You got to get a couple first downs. You can't go three and out a bunch. That's number one. Number two is if you do want to keep this game closer and give yourself the best opportunity, what you do is you slow the pace down. You want to reduce the length of the game and the number of possessions. And the reason for that is basically if they've got 12 possessions, well, you're going to have to defend them for those 12 possessions. And if you only have the gas to defend for 10, you're going to have some trouble. So that's where you can protect a little bit in terms of slowing the pace down. If you can get some first downs and, and run the clock and run the football and extend, the, extend drives there, then they can score fewer points in 10, in, you know, in 10 drives than they can in 12. Now, you're only going to get it 10 times too. But if you're not going to score, score very often anyway, you're keeping the game, the margin of the game closer. So you've got a chance to win on fewer trials. It's again, it's like playing, uh, playing, you know, in a casino, right? You, you want to win early in a casino because the more hands you play, the more times you, you know, the more times you go through those trials, the odds are stacked in favor of the house. Best chance of winning is winning on an early one where you get the, you know, the, the numbers just happen to work out in your favor once. And you take, you win big and you leave because if you keep playing, you're eventually going to give it back. So what you do in this context is you slow it down. You try to reduce the number of trials because if they're the, if they have 20 more healthy players than you do, and you know, they're the, they're the better team at this point in the season, then you try to reduce the number of trials because they're playing, they're playing on the side of the house, their casino money. You want to try to get fewer trials. Maybe you, Maybe you get a break or two. Maybe you get a, a turnover or two. Maybe something happens and a bounce happens and you're able to walk out of there a winner before they're able to get enough possessions to, to turn the table and, and get things back to where the odds would say. So that's really what you have to do, I think, offensively. So, Greg, hearing all of that, do you think Carolina's offense approach is very much different or at all differently against the Hokies as it was against the Cavaliers? I mean, I think... I think Harris, and we've talked about this on these podcasts, and Jason, you broke it down on your videos on the website. Harris made a couple bad reads, but it's pretty clear uh, that he wanted to push the ball downfield come hell or high water, but it did not work out against Virginia. I still think they need to attempt that against the Hokies, Greg. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I do agree with that. I think you got to hit some explosive plays, but here's the issue. What Virginia did and what Virginia Tech's going to do is they're going to take away those quick hits that Larry Fedora loves. They're going to take away the, the jet sweep. They're going to take away uh, the bubble screens. I mean, think about how many bubble screens you've seen North Carolina employ the last couple of weeks. It's not because they took it out of the scheme. It's because it's not there, because teams are, are pressing the, the wide receivers. Because uh, there's really no concern that a wide receiver is going to run by you, for one. 
Uh, and so when you take away a lot of those uh, quick hits, you know, this, this offense is kind of built on the idea of short passes, long gains. And that makes the job very easy for Marquise Williams and Mitch Trubisky when you can just hit you know, Ryan Switzer over the middle or, or whoever and just let them run away from everybody else. North Carolina does not have that, that talent right now at the skill positions. You've got a little bit of a burst with Michael Carter, clearly still a very young guy, uh, kind of getting his, his feet wet at the college level. So how do you combat that? Well, uh, you know, unless you can just play a grinded-out style in the run game, which this offense hasn't proven it can do, I think you have to be willing to take some shots down the field. And Jason did a really good uh, breakdown of, of that first interception that Brandon Harris threw last week when Anthony Ratliff-Williams, for whatever reason, gets turned around. And it's not the first time he's had those kind of miscues. I mean, you know, we remember the Cal game where he just stopped running on a route. Uh, that probably would have been a touchdown. So still learning the position. But you've got to have some guys, number one, to create some, some space, to give themselves an opportunity to win some 50-50 balls. And then the quarterback has to make good decisions and not throw in the double coverage. And he's got to do that knowing that he's got pressure coming his way from a Bud Foster defense. And he's, he's got to trust there's not going to be any breakdowns uh, with the offensive line and then maybe if the tight end and running back are there to, to block. So a lot of things have to work for North Carolina. The margin of error is just so slim. They have to be almost perfect. On, on every offensive play. And that is just so difficult to do for you know, seven, eight, nine plays to march down the field. So uh, I think you do have to take some shots down the field. You got to be careful. I mean, you can't just fire it down there. But on third and long, I don't think there's any issue with throwing it deep. And if it gets picked off, you know, it's basically a hand punt and, and you, you, you try to play the, the next series a little bit better. All right. Let's go ahead and cut to the chase. We know what North Carolina facing is facing going up to Virginia Tech. So let's just go ahead and get straight into the predictions. And I already know what y'all are going to say, but our listeners don't. So we're going to have a different thing than we've had with you guys the last few weeks. It's not going to be the price is right or, uh, <laughs> you know, the uh, I'm bidding $1 so I can get closer and not going over. Jason, I'll let you start. Give me a prediction and why you think your prediction will be as such. Um, I, I think this is a, a little bit difficult to uh, – another difficult game to project just because, again, you're dealing with so many variables on the UNC side in particular. But I, I think, again, Carolina's defense is going gonna, is gonna to come out and, and play a solid game. I think, I think Virginia Tech is probably going to be you know, in the teens till probably the fourth quarter. But I, I do think – Carolina is going to wear down most likely on defense because of just not being able to move the football as consistently as they're going to, as they'd like. I think probability says Virginia Tech's going to be able to stop that run and, and force them to beat them uh, with what they haven't done all that well. And that's, that's throwing the football. So I, I think ultimately Carolina is just not able to score enough points. I've got Virginia Tech score, attacking on a late score to, I think Virginia Tech's going to win this one somewhere around 31 to 13. Greg, your take. Jason's in at 31 to 13. Yeah, I think this will just be a, a methodical game for Virginia Tech. Um, you know, the Lane Stadium's going to be going to be pumping for sure. But I think that the fact that you know, Virginia Tech probably is not going to feel challenged in this game. 
uh, I don't think there's going to be a need to, to really kind of put the throttle down. And so that's going to allow North Carolina to kind of hang around a little bit. Uh, but I, I don't think North Carolina's offense is going to have much success at all. And um, I think North Carolina's defense, while the stats may not necessarily show it, I do think they are showing a little bit of improvement. They don't have studs at certain positions, which would make this defense a lot better. But other than allowing those catastrophic plays, they, they've played pretty well in, in large stretches. And so I don't think this is going to be a high-scoring game. Um, and I've, I've got Virginia Tech winning this one 28-10. to 10. Yeah, I don't disagree with either one of you. In fact, I'm going to steal one number from each of you for my prediction. I'm going to go 31 to 10, Virginia Tech. I know our our head man, Buck Sanders, thinks we need to give more love to the Tar Heels at times in these predictions, but it's just impossible to do. And, and I think the one time point, we did give them love, they laid an egg against uh, Georgia Tech. So. That's yeah, right. so I mean, we haven't given them love. They've actually, they, we've been pretty close. And I think that it's a very similar record as we've seen. I think this is more like the Notre Dame game than it is like the Virginia game. I just see it 31 to 10. Turnovers could make an issue, but I think Virginia Tech plays it pretty safe and limits those. I think Carolina's got to do something special to have a chance. Guys, it's fun to talk to y'all. Season's a little over halfway over, so we've got a lot more to talk about as this year progresses. Carolina and Virginia Tech, 3.30 on Saturday in Lane Stadium. I'd love to see Inner Sandman on a Saturday night one time, but not this time. Greg, Jason, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.